Hello and welcome to another edition of the Transfer News Central podcast, also now known as 15 Minutes of Football podcast. Again, hopefully we have some branding coming before the start of the season that makes it gives it a bit more X factor. Obviously, I'm Johnny, the host. Obviously, that's James. He's always here. Hi, everyone. Yeah. And, you know, this is this is the podcast where we discuss the most complex football topics in 15 minutes or less. Usually pick four, which I like to think are exciting and enjoyable things to discuss. You may disagree. First of those four, James, we're looking at attacking signings, attack, potentially attacking arrivals to various clubs in the Premier League. and picked out three. Many on Twitter were going with a gold, silver and bronze ranking, with Jadon Sancho being a gold, Kai Havertz being a silver and uh, Willian being a bronze. Looking at those three, we're just sort of sub- summarising them all at that same time. Is that a fair ranking? And if it is a fair ranking, that's not really been too discriminative towards the bronze on that list. I think in terms of being like spectacular kind of, you know, marketing, promotion, like image, certainly Sancho is the most glamorous of the three. Mm. Um, he's the most eye-catching, I guess, of the three. Mm. In terms of the, the, the way he plays, the pace, the intensity, you know, the number of goals he scores. This phrase gets used a lot, but he genuinely is a generational talent. He's um, high-class. Kai Havertz is a, and obviously I have a bit of a vested interest in Kai Havertz being a Chelsea fan. Um, but so I've seen a lot of him. He's a big, big talent as well. So um, described him I, as generational. I, well, in Germany they do. I read, um, I think Rudy Voller said he is a combination of Michael Ballack and Meza Ozil and better I than both that. of them. It's um, quite a know, statement. So, yeah, which is a huge statement. I mean, he's he's very highly rated in Germany. He's seen as a massive talent. Uh, you know, they see him as a future 150 million player. He's a very big talent. He's not quite as well known over here because mm. um, obviously Sancho's English and Sancho's mm. you know, Sancho gets more attention. But in his own way, he's almost as talented. But yeah, um, and then of course there's William, who we most from people who watch the Premier League will know William. He's probably the most divisive, one of the most divisive players that I've ever known. He's a talented player. There's no question about it. He contributes a lot to every team um, he plays for, but he's also very misunderstood. Yeah, that's three, isn't it? That's three. Yeah, that's three. I mean, uh, it was so. It's obviously Sancho to Man United. That's really the sort of blockbuster headline this uh, yeah, this summer. Is. And um, I, I think that's more of an inevitability, even though there's a few stories suggesting. United aren't going to be bullied into paying over the odds. We know if it comes down to it, they probably will pay over the odds. So it yeah, doesn't really, yeah. it, like, just like they did with Harry Maguire uh, 12 months ago, I think they said a similar story then as well. Then obviously Kai Havertz linked with Chelsea, Bayer Leverkusen, superstar. Uh, and again, you're right, James, I think because he's not British, uh, he doesn't quite have the same uh, invested interest from, from the UK, general watch of the football of the UK. But certainly, uh, as you said, described as a phenomenal talent. And uh, whenever I've seen him play, and I've seen him play a few times, uh, he never he never disappoints. He always you, you always get the sense that he sort of almost Messi-esque floats around the pitch and then suddenly, bam, mm-hmm. he's gone and he's got that burst of pace. Such composure on the ball. I think the one big difference between uh, Kai Havertz and Jadon Sancho, I think Jadon Sancho's numbers are, you know, they, they paint the yeah, pitch straight yeah. away. Kai Havertz not quite as good. But not many are. Sancho's got uh, double-figure goals, double-figure assists. 
but uh, Kai Havertz's overall game, whenever I've watched him, he, he is a, a, a very special player. And obviously, you know, I'd be very excited as a Chelsea fan if yeah. that one was going to come off. And then with Willian, of course, that one's to Arsenal because if Chelsea get Kai Havertz, they're going to have lots of attacking players with versatility. So you can have Kai Havertz can play at right wing, as, as, as we discussed just before we started, can play as one of the attacking number eights. Uh, Frank okay. Lampard does want to go to a 4-2-3 where he could play as a 10, or he could even play as the striker because he's done a false yeah. nine role at Leverkusen. And Timo Werner can play as a striker or as a left winger. Christian Pulisic, right wing or left wing. And yeah. Hakim Ziyech, uh, right wing or attacking eights or number 10. So, so much versatility there that almost Willian, there is less, there is less of, a, of a need to maybe have Willian around. I know Chelsea wanted to keep him, but yeah, uh, yeah. they weren't yeah. willing to give a three-year deal. Looks like Arsenal could be willing to give him a three-year deal. And with Willian, I think it's more not... I mean, Sancho, as we say, the blockbuster side, Havertz is like... But Sancho's like the protagonist. Havertz is like the deutagonist, the, the second one, the second guy uh, in that story. And Willian's sort of the ancillary mm-hmm. character, the one who's sort of in, in the background a little bit. But yeah. again, that's just that's just not really down to himself, but down to the fact there's two really big moves potentially in the in the offing elsewhere. And I think with Willian, I wish I didn't like it at first. I thought this is this seems a bit silly, but the more I look into it, you know, hundred thousand a week for three years equates to roughly, you know, just over I think it'd just be over fifteen million pounds, roughly over three years for, for Arsenal. Uh, yeah. you know, which isn't uh, too bad, is it? He's getting a 10 million signing on fee as well, apparently. Um, and, but, and there's an option for an extra year, so it could potentially be four years. Yeah, I, again, I, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's too bad in the current market, though, for an Arsenal, for a football club like Arsenal that want to cut costs wherever possible, as they did with those 55 workers, which, yeah, you know, which is a bit, leaves a bad taste. It doesn't quite sit right with me that they're, 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 they're making 55 people redundant. No, so, it's not so in this. Two planet. million pounds, I think. No. And then they go and splash ten million on a signing on fee for William. You know, not in this climate. Right. But, but I think we were discussing though, James, beforehand that we'll push that moral issue aside and we'll let the yeah. we'll <laughs> let them debate that for the time cool. being. But uh, yeah, yeah. But we were discussing before that we think all three of these players that we just mentioned could make a very good impact at the at the football club. Absolutely, yeah. Sancho, Man, I mean, Man United will definitely benefit from having Sancho. He can play left wing, right wing, he scores number goals. 10. Number 10, yeah. Um, he, can, he scores goals, he makes goals. He's dangerous, difficult to defend against. And mm. when you add him to, you know, the likes of Fernandez, and then, you know, you've got Mason Greenwood who can play, who will then be able to play as a striker, which is actually his best position. Um, and, you, and they still got Marshall as well, who did really well this year. Mm. Um, you know, Rashford, and then they'll have a really strong attacking unit. Um, mm. Very dangerous, mm. and you know when you think they've, they'll have Pogba who probably signed a new contract. And, you know Matic has been playing well as defensive midfield. Mm. That's quite strong. It is. I'm I mean, you just touched on it there, James, as well. The versatility. What we've already said of Sancho means if he's at right wing, it's probably Fernandez in the ten. Because uh, United are seemingly a, a, a team that looks like they're set up in a four-two-three-one, which is seeming yeah. which is a formation that is maybe dying out a little bit, but works for them. Works for Bayern Munich. I mean, when they're going forward, it's almost a, it's it's almost a back three with Pogba just in front, and then all of them just sort of in that final third and just taking chances. It's very exciting. But just on the looking at it from a four-two-three-one perspective, Sancho's at right wing. 
you've got Rashford at left wing and Fernandes as the, as the 10 and Martial yeah. at front. Sanchez at left wing. You've got Greenwood at right wing, Fernandes at and the 10 and Martial at front. And then if you could have Sancho in the middle and also, as you just alluded to, being Sancho at right wing doesn't mean Greenwood can't start. It means he can go up front. But if he goes up front, he's dislodging, he's moving Anthony Martial out, who's in fine form. He's doing remarkably well in yeah, that, that striker position. Yeah, so you've got... Yeah. You've got so much going on there. And I, I, I mean, I, you could probably argue that Paul Pogba can also play in the Bruno Fernandes position if necessary probably, with yeah. Fred and um, Matic behind. So that's, that is, you know, versatility, depth, and, and it's really exciting for United. And really similarly to Chelsea as well with Havertz, as we said, as I've already touched on, really, you think he'll play as one of the attacking aids, but there's a, there's a, you know, it's really difficult to predict, isn't it? Because you can still make a case for him playing as the as the striker, false nine, or the right wing. Yeah, I think. Well, from what I've seen at Chelsea this year, Lampard's preferred formation for me is is four three three with mm. two eight. Certainly um, post lockdown, it has been. Yeah, and I think I think that's how he wants to play. Ideally, uh, I think he's not been able to play that too often because. Because Kante's missed basically half the season and Kante is the guy that he wanted to play mm. as a defensive midfielder because Jorginho isn't really suited to playing a defensive midfield role in that kind of formation because mm. he's not quick enough or strong enough. Hence, they're trying to get rid of Jorginho. Yeah, and so you've got Mason Mount who's kind of really established himself this year as a kind of almost a first-team regular. Played, played, start, played 37 league games, uh, 51 games overall. You know, he was, he was very consistent. Scored goals, created goals, you know, it was very influential. And you've got real next to you have Ruben Loftus Cheek, fully fit from the start of the season. Yeah, fully fit Loftus Cheek is a very good player. Mm. He can play that number eight role. And mm. then obviously Kovacic can, can play that role as well. Um, although he doesn't score or create quite as much. I have much. to ask James actually now, when you mentioned the formation, uh, I, I know a friend of the podcast, a friend of the podcast, we hate him, Jordan, uh, said that. Um, he had a, an interesting thought that it, it's it's sort of it, the whole Chelsea that they expected um, squad that they're going to have for the next season would suit best the four two three one because Kovacic is best in as a double pivot in a double pivot two sixes. Yeah, Kante I mean, is best in that in, in that double pivot. Jorginho, if he's not offloaded, is also very good in that double pivot. And yeah, Havertz yeah. is a number ten usually. At, at, yeah, I mean you could. Pivot. Yeah, that's it. I mean. I, that, I think that's an option. Lampard has played that formation before, mm. and he, he can. I think he'll use that formation. Mm. And then that's the thing of getting Havertz is that it allowed you to play different formations as well. Because mm. Havertz basically is is just as good in every position. He, he's influential whether in the number eight role. He's influential in the number ten role, mm. or wide right, or as a false nine. That's the beauty of having him. I think you know. In that, and also it allowed you to deal with injuries a lot better because, say, Loftus-Cheek is injured or uh, one of the wingers is injured, he can come in and play. He's, I mean, I've, having watched him, he, his passing, his creativity, is very reminiscent of Kevin De Bruyne. Very mm, reminiscent. That's a, that's a big shout. Uh, very um, big shout. Yeah, and I, mean, but, I don't think it's an unfair comparison. But of course, as well, with Havertz coming in, it means there's less reliance on Willian, as someone who's been at Chelsea for a long time. Exactly. Uh, the club wanted to give him two years, I think, by what I've read. Uh, he wants three could, years, yeah. and it looks like he could get that at Arsenal. Again, someone who, so much Premier League experience, Willian, you know, mm. a player who, as we say, d- does divide opinion, 
but largely, I mean, I, I think I think when he's been, I, I mean, I'm looking at this from the outside, but when he's been at Chelsea, he's always been sort of the he's never been the main man. He's always sort of been just mm. behind the main man, and he sort of gets on with his job relatively well most weeks. And even though he can be frustrating, I think you know it's no coincidence that Jose Mourinho really liked him because he worked so hard and he always gave 100. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, just Lamp- and, go on. Yeah, Frank Lampard has mentioned his work ethic over and over again. And Lampard is someone who demands a lot of his players in terms mm. of work ethic in, in training as well as in games. Mm. And he played with him as well. You know, he's known him for seven years. Lampard's always spoken highly of him as being an example to the young players and someone who does extra training and someone who's, you know, uh, and we've, I think Chelsea have missed him this year when he's not played actually as well. Chelsea, I mean, he's got, I think he's got 11 goals and nine assists this year or something and he he created the, the, the most chances as well for Chelsea. Do you think uh, he gets into Arsenal's first 11? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think if you could play for Arsenal, you could play, you could then play Aubameyang as a striker and you could play mm. Pepe and Willian as wide players mm. uh, around him. Or you could play Willian as a number 10 mm-hmm. uh, as that option as well. Yeah, and I think somebody, you mentioned false nine as well. We did, and that's perfect actually because we just, go, if we, it, in about one minute, we could just seamlessly roll into the next yeah. discussion. So, of, uh, yeah. And the big thing that Willian will bring to Arsenal is experience. Like, mm. um, he's yeah. won Premier League titles, he's won mm. domestic cuts and, and even you know, Europa Leagues. Uh, he's played a lot of Premier League football, so he'll bring a lot of experience to that squad. Um, mm. They need because they've got a lot of young players there as well. So Pepe as well, someone who looks incredible in some moments and looks a bit a bit off yeah. off in other moments would benefit, you know, from someone like Willian, you know, as well. And I did, I actually thought uh, just around this discussion, I thought they might go for Zahar, but you know, when you think about it, Zahar maybe forty fifty million transfer fee plus wages would mm. be a lot more costly option for for Arsenal. You know, so I, th- I think they've, I think they found a better value for money situation there. Anyway, discussion number two, which as we say seamlessly rolls on, is my little thought on the death of the number nine. We'll come back to Willian actually. So uh, any Arsenal fans listening are in for a tweet, or, or or anyone who's interested in Willian or, or Chelsea fans even. But um, yeah, I mean, I, death of the number nine just sort of something that I was think I've been thinking about for a while actually, and, and sort of. Came up again yesterday when I saw, when I saw Manchester City start with Phil Foden in a false nine position, Gabriel Jesus, a traditional striker, playing at left wing, uh, Raheem Sterling at right wing. I know Jesus has already said actually my favourite position is playing left wing, uh, which is odd for someone who starts out as a striker to say, but it makes you think really. I think is it more beneficial for goal scorers to be playing out wide? Obviously, with Liverpool. You've got Roberto Firmino, who plays the who plays the false nine role, and many people call it the Firmino role now. Where many people, Liverpool fans, are quick to give him praise and, and uh, you know uh, for his, for the standard of his performances, even if he's not getting fifteen to twenty goals, which he ha- you know, and he only scored one goal in the Premier League at Anfield this season, you know, and people would be saying, "Whoa, that's not what you should expect from a striker." But Liverpool fans say he's one of the best in the world at what he does and people say well that's silly he's a striker but it's almost like the defensive striker the selfless performer mm-hmm. at the top of the pitch you know yeah. and what I see is it's almost it's a fluid shape so let's say a 4-3-3 with a false nine when the team's attacking almost becomes a 4-3-1-2 where the two wide players mm-hmm. get come inside and 
almost act like two strikers. And yeah. the striker or the false nine drops back into an almost number 10 position and, and, and opens up spaces in behind. Uh, so the selfless, the defensive striker, as, as, as I've seen it called as well somewhere else. And it's, yeah, I, I find that, um, I find it quite interesting that, that do you think there is a, there is a, a method in the idea that the, the striker, the 30 goal, 25 goal striker is dying out. And if they are fast and, and athletic and capable of scoring goals, are they better playing on one of the flanks? Well, yeah, and it's interesting. It's an interesting topic. I mean, because, you know, in Timo Werner, for example, at Leipzig this year. Very good. He's Very good. Playing, he's been playing kind of just off, off somebody, kind of coming Left in from forward. Left. Yeah, he's he's been in the centre. He's come into the centre, but he's come from the left, uh, kind of a left, not really a wing, not not really left wing, but kind of left of central, kind of an inside forward on the left, with a central striker, kind of playing that role that you're talking about in a sense. Voller at, at Leipzig usually, uh, I think, does play that role. Um, yeah, exactly, and so and that's been very effective for him. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he's used at Chelsea, actually. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely agree. I mean, like you look at Liverpool. Liverpool are the prime example of this because their top scorers are Mane and Salah, not Firmino. Um, mm. Firmino has been excellent at what he does, um, and that's he's not a his main job is not to score goals, actually, and they miss him when he's not playing because mm. he plays such an important role in, in the other two players. Getting forward, and yeah, and I think Man City have done this for a while as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I've seen even Sterling play as a false nine mm. um, at times as well. I mean, they're I mean they're very fluid, Manchester City, no, in terms of positions, especially attacking wise. Mm. A lot of their attackers can play in different positions, mm. and uh, and often do. Like Foden, for example, you know, you'd say he was an, an attacking midfielder, but he's playing false nine. You know, yeah. and so that's something about modern football that is very true. You know, I mean. Mm. Yeah, and just to, just to correct myself, and you had said this, I didn't want to interrupt you, either, James, because I, I, when I said when I shouted Voller out loud, I was thinking uh, because we're talking about uh, Kai Havertz. That's of course the Leverkusen striker yeah. Patrick Schick. Yeah, Patrick Schick is the uh, is is the Leipzig forward, and and of course, as we say, he's quite a, a physical presence, quite a, quite um, you know a, 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 a striker who who, but as we say, a, a physical presence who does who does a good job for the team with Werner. You know, he gets more out of Werner playing on on that left forward side. Because of course, Leipzig like to play uh, three at the back with with attacking wing backs. Uh, again, the right forward and left forward. And we've seen with Sancho as well. Actually, Sancho's played right forward and left forward with uh, Erling Haaland up front. Although, again, with Haaland, he's actually a goal scorer as well. You know, he's not just someone who wants to create for his teammates as such. And I mean, one thing as well that, and, and, and you know, as we say, that'll be interesting actually with Werner because, of course, coming to Chelsea, people think he's just going to go up front. But at Leipzig with Schick up front, maybe it makes sense to have Giroud there as well sometimes. Yeah, uh, or Tammy Abraham, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think there's, there's certainly potential there and there's a lot of options that Chelsea are going to have. Uh, but then I think I think as well with Arsenal, and you mentioned oh, Aubameyang could maybe go up front. And we were sort of saying with William, we were saying before we, we started recording the podcast, could Willian, as you say, you said at Chelsea, again, you didn't say it on the podcast, you said before uh, before we got on the podcast, you said he was better in central areas where, yeah, you know, he had more of an influence. Position, yeah. Yeah, and, and, he, and he's, a, he's, a, he's a nimble mover, 
very fast, can drill players out of position. And we were saying, could Willian be set up as a false nine almost, like the, the selfless role? Because he's a selfless player, and yes, that could give license for Pepe and Aubameyang, who are absolutely rapid and also very you know, technically good players, particularly Aubameyang in the finishing department. Yeah. Could that give yeah. them the license to be like, act as two strikers almost from right to left? He absolutely could do that. There's no question about that. With his work ethic, his, you know, his skill, his, you know, his passing, whatever, he could definitely do that. Mm. Uh, I even suggested some. That's that. That's somebody at Chelsea about Chelsea that we should try him in that role. And it's never happened. Mm. But I think there's something I said to you before we started recording about when uh, Eden Hazard has said that he loved playing with William because William would would do all the work. He would drop deeper. He would. He would keep possession, and then he would release attacking players like him mm. uh, to go and do their thing and express themselves and score goals. Yeah, and, no, yeah. And so yeah. that might, I mean that tells you what kind of player he is. Mm. Uh, so he can absolutely do that role, especially under Arteta, who's a very progressive coach and mm. um, could almost certainly adapt players and you know uh, improve players, even player like William and as old as William. So yeah. Um, that's definitely possible. It'll be interesting to see how Arteta wants to use him because Arteta has pushed for them to sign William, so he clearly must have a role for him. Mm. Uh, I so mean, what he does as, with him. as well, Arteta had a preference, didn't he, at, at points for Eddie Nketiah over Alexander Lacazette. I mean, Eddie Nketiah is nowhere near the, the goal scoring, doesn't have the goal scoring antics of, say, Lacazette, who is, you know, I think if he starts every game, 38 games in the season, you'd expect him to get nearly 20 goals. You know, in a, in a good or, or more, he's one of those players who's a very good finisher. But Arteta preferred Nketiah, who seemed to do more of what he wanted from the striker, which was make himself a nuisance, uh, pull, push, pull, um, come deeper, allow spaces in behind. I know Lacazette's played more towards the end of the season, but I don't think it surprised me if I, if Lacazette went, because you know, as we say, no, it wouldn't uh, surprise me either. Actually, no. no, no, as we say, I think he's looking for someone who can maybe get more out of a well. I mean, he's been doing fantastically well. But the fact that I think he's been playing left wing consistently all the time makes me think that's where Arteta's even now, and certainly backs up this point mm, about possible. this death of the nine, as we, you know, as we say. And I know we have back to Liverpool, but Salah and Mane are the goal scorers there. And I suppose when you look back at Real Madrid in the past, Real and Ronaldo yeah. were the were the people who got the goals. You know, Lionel Messi at right wing. Remember, I know he was a false nine under Guardiola, did remarkably well, but usually plays right wing again. Can where he wants, yeah, more yeah, of yeah, yeah. Re-roll. yeah. Um, Real Madrid, the Real Madrid one is a really good example because yeah. uh, when Ronaldo was at, at Real Madrid, Benzema basically played that false nine yeah, role. He, 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 he worked hard, he withdrew, he, he, he linked up the play, he allowed Ronaldo in particular to get forward and Bale as well. And Bale, yeah, but yeah. I mean, he was he's been so underrated uh, at Madrid, Benzema. He's an excellent player. He's uh, and this season, he's actually scored a lot of goals, which has mm. shown that when he's actually allowed to be a kind of central striker. He you know, I think he's got the fourth really... mo- most Champions League goals, Benzema. Yeah, he's, he's been a phenomenal player. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 20, 27 goals this season, I think he's got in all competitions. Well, I think he's acting more like a striker now, isn't he? Because he doesn't yeah, yeah, have that. Yeah, he played a really important role in Ronaldo being what he was in Bale. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, very underrated performer. Well, the other side of it, I mean, you've got you've also got the goal scorers uh, that still are 
really the roost. Immobile, 36 Serie A goals, most goals in, in Italy for Lazio. And, you know, certainly, a, 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 a well, he, he seems to be someone who's not necessarily succeeded outside of Italy. Certainly when he went to Dortmund, didn't didn't do particularly well. But, you know, in Italy, usually amongst the goals of 36, incredible numbers for him. Lewandowski, 34 in 31 Bundesliga uh, appearances. Lewandowski is the best striker in the world right now. And, yeah. uh, you know, for Bayern Munich, it makes sense just to feed him, even though they've got goal scorers. I mean, Muller's got 21 assists in the Bundesliga this season, which is remarkable in yeah, itself. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, really in incredible. position. But I think with Bayern as well, I mean, Bayern can score goals from anywhere, really. They've got lots of potential goal scorers. But... When they've got someone as good as Lewandowski, it makes sense to have him in the box as much as they can because he is. is. Yeah, you just give him chances, he'll score. A machine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at Man City as well, I mean, Aguero is one of the goal scorers, isn't he? One of the renowned goal scorers. But at the same time, even he doesn't, he's almost, he scores goals because he's a goal scorer. He's a, good, he's a great finisher, one of the best around. He has been many, yeah, for a long goal. time. But he's changed his role a lot under Guardiola, hasn't he? So much so that he has to drop deep and work hard and let the others go behind him. In yeah, a way, in a little bit like Firmino, a bit sometimes. Yeah, he's you know, evolved he, and adapted his game, yeah. But he still managed to score goals, even yeah, exactly. Even doing that. Exactly, uh, yeah. So, which, which is a mark of a really great player. So, it is, it is. I mean, with Firmino, a lot of people, as we say, they say he does, I think Firmino probably does do the role slightly better because such as influence, as he, as he says on Salah and Mane, that, that selfless striker. But Aguero as well is the selfless striker. And and we, you know, we we still expect him to score the goals, and he does score the goals. But then, as we say, so often it's Sterling and it's like Sterling and Mares that we're getting the chance. I know he's injured now, but uh, as we say, as you say, people cut Firmino slack, myself included, when he does miss because we say, well, that's not maybe his, his area of strength. And then people say, mm. well, he's a striker. Aguero yeah. performs a similar role, not quite as well as Firmino, but the difference is when he gets a chance. You know, mm. he he's just as lethal as his two wide players, isn't he? So. I mean, as well as well, I'd like to say Harry Kane as well. I think is someone who is, you know, put him up front. He'll get he can easily get you know twenty five goals. He has done it for Tottenham before, but he's also so much more. He can also do the selfless striker, dropping deep. He's a creative player. He's Kane, isn't he? Technically very he good. Is, yeah, I mean, he's, team he's a very. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, I was going to say he's more of a he's more of a traditional number nine than most most mm. strikers, uh, but he has learned to adapt his game still because you need to have a more complete game now in the modern game mm. uh, I mean to be honest Jeter really is a very good manager for him because mm. Jeter really likes to likes to have that big target man up front and he's, mm. that, he's perfect for that mm. uh, so uh, he's, he's probably lucked out with uh, having Mourinho as his manager in summary, James, uh, is the death of the number nine a genuine thing or is it, a, is it hyperbole? I think it's slight hyperbole because I think other teams, I think there's still a role for the traditional number nine. It depends on the manager. It depends on their philosophy, basically. I would I'd agree um, with that as well, to be honest. And I think as well for smaller teams, teams say coming up into the top divisions of the respective countries, particularly in the Premier League, you'd always say, can your striker get double-figure goals? That's what teams will look towards, uh, particularly teams that may be a, are likely to be a bit less risk, a bit more risk averse, yeah. play longer balls. Is the striker going to be able to get goals when the balls are pumped into the box? Is he going to be able to get his head on it? Is he going to be able to win games? And of course, Antonio Conte into Milan as well. Yeah, he's a big exactly. believer in the, in the big front man. Uh, hopefully, he stays longer than 
Rizzio Sarri will talk about him yes. uh, after. Uh, but, you know, I think, I, I, I just in summary to end that, I mean, I think it's an interesting topic. I think it shows football's evolution. But I do think as well, it's good to have different styles of play, different methods of setting up. Because if everyone set up in this 4-3-3 with a false nine that drops back with the two wide players coming in centrally to score goals, be quite boring, wouldn't it, to be the same? Yeah, it would. It would absolutely, yeah. All uh, the time. Uh, so, yeah, I think we should actually treasure maybe some Jose Mourinho antics or, or Sean Dyche. Other managers <laughs> are available because, again, it just, it, and, and also, uh, you know, it, it sometimes makes you appreciate the, the beautiful football that's played by other managers a little bit more. And, some, and it's also nice yeah. to see, you know, uh, counter tactics all across the field. Anyway, shifting on to uh, topic three. Actually, quite different. Talked about Firmino quite a bit in there. We'll talk about Liverpool quite a bit now. So, they were champions by landslide this season. They've done really, really well in the Premier League, less so in the other competitions. So, how do they improve next season? Where are they? What What do they have to do? And also, you know, it's on it's on a shoestring budget. I know the fans are going absolutely crazy because rivals are being linked with Sancho, Havertz, and they're struggling to pay thirty million pounds for Thiago. So, is it is it a legitimate concern, or can they believe in the mentality that Jurgen Klopp's instilled in all of them to really push Man City again again next season for the title? I don't think it's a concern next season mm. because they've got such a strong squad already, and mm. a lot of them are in their prime still. You mm. know, uh, you know, Mane, uh, Salah, Van Dijk, Allison. You know, a lot of them are in their prime mm. still. I mean, you know, you know they they will be competitive next season without mm. any question. I mean, if they did manage to get Thiago, yeah, that would be sensational. I feel like in my head, I'm just reading between the lines. When Alden has 12 months left on his contract, and they're not sure if he's going to sign, uh, Thiago's mm. got 12 months left on his contract, and Bayern don't think he's going to sign. So could it be a case of maybe seeing out the season with Wijnaldum and then? You know, shifting on, uh, maybe, maybe going for Thiago on a free transfer in twelve months. He's apparently very keen by the by the Liverpool project. Yeah, he is. He's, he really wants to go there, doesn't he? So I don't know. I'm not sure how that will work out. I mean, Ronaldo has been a fantastic player for Liverpool, hasn't he? Over the, he over has. The, yeah, the, uh, he has. Know. So it depends on, on what they're willing to spend and what they have to spend. But mm. I think if they, I think they can be competitive this season without any big signings, but. The only thing is that Manchester City are going to spend a lot mm. of money. Yeah. Um, judging yeah. by the players that they're being linked with, you know, uh, and they will improve significantly next season. They will have yeah. a strong squad in depth to cope with mm. injuries, yeah. to congestion, etc. Their defence will be much stronger. Uh, yeah. And they will have that extra motivation of wanting to win their title yeah. back. And it's and they, they won't have the pressure of being champions. They can... Uh, they will have the drive that Liverpool had this season. No, and no. a manager who is very, very focused on winning the league uh, and always yeah. says the league is the priority for him and is a winner. So I think it's going to be... And of course, they've got experience of winning it before, so they don't have to fear that either. So I think it's going to be very difficult for anybody um, to stop Man City winning the league. However... Mm. That said, if Manchester City go far in the Champions League, mm. they will start their season later uh, and will have more fixture congestion as a result. Yeah. So that would allow Liverpool to get a good start. 
So yeah. that's the, that'll be Liverpool's way of if they can get a good lead mm. early on. But yeah, but I would still think Manchester City could claw that back. But that would make a more interesting title race, that's for sure. Yeah, so no, and I do think Manchester City will go far in the Champions League. They will get to at least the semi-final. I probably, agree with you. I think, final. I think they probably will as well. I mean, with with the Thiago Ronaldo thing, as I say, with the 12 months of each, because uh, I think it's an interesting dilemma they've got. You can offload Ronaldo for 30 million. That pays the Thiago fee. But again, it's difficult. Yeah. It's difficult with the, the world as it is. It's difficult. Is Ronaldo a player? I mean, I, He's a very good player. Does very well. It's a very good system player for Liverpool, I think, in that he's another another one of the selfless crew that uh, puts in a lot of running, a lot of miles, and doesn't necessarily get the credit in terms of goals and assists mm. from that from that number eight position. Uh, as we said, the number eight positions at Liverpool are very different to the ones at Manchester City. At Manchester City, they're designed to get goals, assists, be creative, be the creative hubs. At Liverpool, they're designed to more more or less keep the tempo going, but you know, get the ball to the fullbacks because the fullbacks are the two creative hubs, aren't they? At Liverpool, uh, whereas I think if they got Thiago, in fairness, they'd have another. You'd have a three creative hubs. So I think Wijnaldum's a very good player. I think he suits the system really well, and that's why they'd be happy to let him see out his contract, probably, uh, mm. instead of having Thiago. But if you had Thiago there, you've got someone who who's a legitimate world class creator in the middle of the pitch alongside Robertson and Alexander Arnold. So yeah. then. If you had someone who was, say, there was an injury to one of the fullbacks, as we've seen this season, when there's an injury to one of the fullbacks, suddenly it's a grind for Liverpool to get through games sometimes because, quite frankly, they haven't had the same. Uh, mm. there's, not, there's not enough creation elsewhere. But then if you had Thiago there, you would have that extra level of creation in the middle of the pitch. That's right. Um, um, it's not a surprise that they're going for another left-back as well. No, no, good point. They're promoting that academy... Right back as well, aren't they? Who's meant uh, Neko Williams? I've been impressed by him, to be fair. Yeah. In, um, you know, yeah, I and I, yeah. So I think the, yeah, I think Liverpool will be strong. Uh, yeah, the, you know, and if they get, if they, if they got that over the, over, got Thiago over the line and another left back, uh, I'm right, I forget his name. Mm. They, they uh, Jamal they, Lewis. They, yeah, Jamal Lewis. That's it. Yeah, they, they would, they would be in a very strong position again. So. And they will, they will, they will compete for the title. They will be title challengers. They will well, as, the, uh, yeah. as well, James. You mentioned Jamal Lewis. Also, I was watching Olympiacos v Wolves, and they've been a link with the another left back, Konstantinos Timikas, um, the Greek player for Olympiacos. Very, very impressed with him. I was. I mean, so much energy, good tackling, good tackling. Did really well against Adama Traore uh, in that match, uh, and mm. also almost nearly nearly scored a goal early on as well. Chest and and um, yeah. you know, cut across the ball for a half volley. Uh, they sort of did a bit of a look at him, you know, a, a bit more in depth, and he does seem like a very good player. And with Olympiakos as well, you know, in the Greek league, uh, which has nowhere near the same amount of revenue as the Premier League, then mm. you know there might be more value in getting someone like Simikas, uh, who looks a very, very good player, than spending twenty million, what Norwich wants, on Jamal Lewis, someone who's still very, very young. Uh, and has a lot of yeah. development to do. I mean, I know Simicast is, is, is young as well. He's in his 20s. But, you know, at, at this moment in time, Liverpool really are. It does seem like 5 million, 10 million is a lot for them. So they might get more out of Simicast than they would out of Jamal Lewis in terms of they could get him for cheaper and probably have a similar level player. And as you've alluded to, James, Neko Williams, uh, very uh, exciting prospect for them. Of course, Trent Alexander Arnold came through the youth setup. Uh, Neko yeah. Williams has a, has a lot of self-confidence judging by what I've seen of him 
yeah. and I think one thing that's important for Liverpool is if they need to rest or there's a slight injury to Alexander Arnold or Robertson, the players who step up to those positions, although they won't be quite on the same level, they need to have a similar they, they need to keep that tempo going. So they need to still have the same energy. They need to still be able to cross mm-hmm. the ball. They need to still yep. be able to, you know, because in the past it's been James Milner at left back. I know when we had Matt Addison on here, he was very, uh, you know, he used to say James Milner would get the ball at left back and then come inside and, and, and pass it with his right foot. And that sort of slows the tempo down. And then at right back, you've had Joe Gomez go there. But Joe Gomez is a lot better at centre-back. So it's important that they have options that could at least get to, I don't know, six. If they're not at the level of Alexander Alder Robertson, they can still play a bit like Alexander Alder Robertson. So you've still got that. It doesn't slow because Liverpool's a tempo team. They want to get the ball up the pitch quickly. They want the fullbacks to get up and down the pitch quickly. They want to, you know, they're all about working hard, putting lots of energy on display. And then, you know, with, with a bit of hope, the right back and the left back get themselves in good positions to, to, to fizz balls in and they get lots of assist numbers. So I think they need people of that ilk again in, in reserving mm. backup. Again, backup's hard because you're not going to play over Robertson or Alexander-Arnold, but it's important that there is something there. And just one thing as well, James, before uh, we do go on, I mean, Dejan Lovren's left for 10.9 million and uh, that that does leave a bit of a, a gap at centre-back and, you know, Bot likes to promote from within and Kiana Hover is a very promising young player there. But they've been linked with uh, Ozan Kubak of Schalke, who's a, who's, a, who's a centre-back, who is very young, Turkish, 20 years old, still still, still developing mm-hmm. his game. But also, um, he is, the manager of Schalke, of course, is um, the, I forgot what his name is now, he's the, whole, the old Huddersfield manager, they very good friends with Jurgen Klopp. Um, oh, um, yes. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I I, you know, I have everything oh, there. I thought gosh. I could just I'm do that off the top of my head. Like, I'll come back yeah. to you. But he's there and they're hoping, I've heard reports that they hope they could get a deal because of the friendship of the two managers, there might be something in the pipeline there. But also uh, Ben White, who was on loan at Leeds from uh, Brighton, and did yeah, so he did well, well. He did so well that uh, Brighton now want a, quite a big fee for him from Leeds. Uh, and again, when I say quite a big fee, that, should, that might put Liverpool off themselves. But they do have to probably have four fit and able centre-backs, yeah, especially when Matip, is almost like glass, isn't he? When you know, he's, he's a very good yeah, uh, right. performer, very good performer actually. Certainly, I'd say he's one of the better, one of the better centre backs in the Premier League. You, you know, when he plays, I think he's very good, especially next to Van Dijk. But again, is he going to be able to stay fit if Joe Gomez or, or Van Dijk Van Dijk are unavailable? It's, it's a risk, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, the other areas that they could strengthen, but they've got to be selective this summer. Um, yeah, no, they do, um, and and. I think um, what we, uh, we touched on it a bit before, the fact Man City could have a late stop because of the Champions League this time, and that's going to lead to fixture congestion. Players won't have enough rest. I mean, these Liverpool players should be, you know, raring to go by the time the Premier League comes around. They're going to have a nice, relaxing August. They'll probably watch Man City in the Champions League, no doubt, uh, <laughs> eagerly. Yeah, yeah. And then it's going to come round, uh, I think it's September the 18th, is it? Something like September the 12th. I think it's, it might be September the 18th for people who've been in the Champions League. Uh, it's a week yeah. or two weeks. Out, <laughs> it's out, barely any time yeah. at all, you know. So. No, but there's enough. it's enough of a break for Liverpool, isn't it, I think? Uh, oh, for Liverpool, know. yeah. yeah. Uh, and I thought when I was watching them towards the end, Salah looked a bit tired. Mane looked a bit tired. 
Firmino looked a bit less effective at doing what he does. But to be fair, I suppose Firmino's game is going to look less effective if Salah and Mane aren't getting what they should be, you know, aren't delivering uh, with goal contributions. Mm. Uh, Robertson looked, was in and out. He looked, to, he looked certainly looked off when just after Liverpool had won the league, people said he'd been drinking all week. You know, so I, th- I think it's not a big good chance for them to recharge the batteries, won't it? That the whole Liverpool squad, and you won't be surprised if they hit the ground running after a long break and time for reflection and, and time to relax. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they. Well, I mean, they've got momentum. They've got confidence. Klopp is a great manager, great motivator, uh, and he will have them fired up. Yeah, there's no question about it. The second, it's always more difficult. Second year, always. And in theory, with Liverpool, they've won the league twice because 97 points was basically <laughs> is, is basically enough, isn't it, to have won a yeah, league? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, technically, they have. They've got they've got 197 points in two seasons. You know, mm-hmm. I think. 
says a bit too much, you know, in, in, in his media yeah. briefings or, or, or on the outside. We'll start with Sarri. You know, he wins, he wins Serie A with a squad that's not really his own. He's just got out to the champ of the Champions League to Leon, um, mm. and 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 he's and that's ultimately been deemed too big of a failure for him to keep his job. So he's been he's been relieved of his duties. Maurizio Pochettino is now the man in the frame. But before we get to Poch, I mean, we're talking a bit before we went on the pod. It's very hard. We do feel this decision is quite harsh by Juventus, don't we? Yeah, and because the problem from what I can gather, and I've been trying to do some research and look at what Juventus fans are saying. The problem is not the manager. The, man, the, man, the problem is that they, their, their recruitment strategy has not been as good in the last two or three years as it was in the, in the years before that. They seem to have been, what, I've, what I can gather is they have been, their, their focus is we want to win the Champions League. We want to win mm, the Champions League. Yeah. And so we'll get Ronaldo, we'll, you know, we'll get a few star names and we'll just build around that and... You know, go for the Champions League because they're dominant in Syria, and so yeah, the next step up was winning the Champions League, and and they gave and the squad that they've got has got a lot of dead wood in it for a team that's won the league. I mean, they won the league by one point in the end, so they kind of scraped over the line, really. Yeah, it's not actually that good a squad for a team that won the league. <laughs> you know, Ronaldo was a big factor in winning the league with his goals. He got, I think he got over thirty goals. He did. He did. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, obviously, they've got Dybala, who's a quality player. Dybala, uh, actually, James, is a player under Maurizio Sarri who's done far better uh, because of yeah. Sarri. You know, under Allegri, it was quite a structural-based system. He struggled. Yeah. It quite, didn't, wasn't quite as free. But in the Sarri system, I know Sarri's based on structure as well, as you know, at Chelsea with the 4-3-3. Absolutely. But he, it's a lot more free for attacking players than, say, as we say, Allegri was, where it was a, almost Jose Mourinho-esque, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and I think I think if if you've given Sarri the players that he wanted for his system, mm. his system, uh, and given him time to build that, mm. then he could have done that at Juventus. Yeah. But the way that the, the expectation at Juventus is very very high, they are ruthless. As we've seen, they will mm. not hesitate to get rid of a manager if mm. he's not good enough or if there's yeah. failure. And. Yeah. They want. They still want to win the Champions League as quickly as possible. But I think there was. I think there's got to be a recognition by the Juventus board that it's not just the manager that they need to rebuild the entire squad and even change their philosophy on recruitment as well. Because mm. if they want to win the Champions League, that's the only way they're going to do it. If they want to continue to be dominant in Italy, that's the only way they're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually, I mean last last year their best signing was Matthias Delict. That was a great signing. Yeah, I mean. He's a young centre back who's going to be an absolute top class centre back for the next ten years. But if they've done more like that, if they've recruited more like that, they would they'd probably be better off. Um, yeah, he took a while, didn't he, Delict, to sort of settle in, but he now did. he's a regular. Yeah, he did. But, but, in, um, uh, no, I agree with you, James. I think it was a very good sign. Now, actually, I think it's quite funny. Obviously, Ronaldo was brought in, brought in because they thought he might yeah. be the person to w- help them win the Champions League because they got close a few times because they had the final where they got so close and uh, Ronaldo's Real Madrid demolished them I think and also um, mm. I, I think as well Barcelona as well they played Barcelona didn't they in the final yeah. and they yeah. just couldn't seem to get a break really in, in, in many ways it was quite sad coming so close uh, so that's why of course they went for Ronaldo one of the best players in, one of the two best players in the world for the past 10 years 
And obviously, I think it's been interesting because Sarri's got a lot of criticism because he's tried to play Ronaldo as the striker. And uh, you know he played at left wing yesterday. Well, yesterday being the day, the day after. Sorry if anyone's listening to this. The day after Leon uh, knocked Juventus out of the Champions League. But in fairness to Sarri, the other options up front were Higuain, who he had at Chelsea, of course, who's now on his last legs, isn't he? And, <laughs> get him, you get him know, happen as well. Yeah, and yeah. Dybala could play there, but it seems to prefer to play at right wing. Uh, not not necessarily at the striker for for Maurizio Sarri's yeah, system. So, right. also you've got in midfield, you've got a four hundred thousand pound a week, roughly Aaron Ramsey, who's flattered to deceive, as I'm pretty sure many could have guessed. You know, Juventus are a very big team. Uh, Sarri's a man who needs really good players in the midfield. I think he's just fallen short. But you've got Adrian Rabio, who's almost always a square peg in a round hole. Hole seems to be it seems to look the part on certain games, but. Uh, can't seem to settle or or, or find um, find consistency with his performances. Mm, yeah. You've got, you've got Bernadeschi, who's a young, good young player, very quick. But again, I'm not convinced that he's necessarily he should be a regular starter in, in, at Juventus. They sold Cancelo, who's a very was a, one of the best right backs around, and they brought Danilo in, and Danilo doesn't really play much. Uh, mm. You know, at right back and Quadrado played, uh, I think at right back against Leon. Uh, Kingsley Coma went to Bayern Munich. Another very good young player who who you know has who sort of slipped through the net. Pjanic has been playing largely as the six, hasn't played very well. And for some reason, Barcelona, another club with bizarre recruitment, have decided to pay quite big money for him. Um, Matuidi is still there again, not just not good enough to be a technical midfielder for Rizzo Sarri. I don't think in the middle of the pitch, much more suited to an Allegri or uh, style setup. Or uh, Didier Deschamps with France, a very good, very good for France uh, system player, works hard. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it and thinking, you know, this is basically Max, largely Max Allegri's team that's used to Max Allegri's setups. Delict being uh, someone who's come in who's probably is a, a very sorry player. Uh, but, but still, so many Allegri minded players in there used to the Allegri minded setups. You can't just impose a philosophy that's completely different to that in a year, can you? And I mean, it's the same thing I was thinking when he was at Chelsea. You know, Antonio Conte, quite defensive, three at the back system. And then suddenly he's going to Chelsea and he's like, right, you're not going to play three at the back now like you've done for the past two seasons. You're playing four at the back, four, three, three, and you're going to be expansive football, quite a bit different maybe to what Antonio Conte was looking for when he was at Chelsea. And you can't impose that. You can't put a philosophy on the team within a season, can you? As I said, it's a, I feel like deja vu, but surely it's time and money. Although right now, big clubs don't offer time very much and, and money's more scarce than it once was with the, with the pandemic. That's right, yeah. That's right, Juventus. Juventus need to sell what they can buy. Uh, I mean, there's been rumours about Ronaldo going to PSG as well. Mm. Um, that wouldn't surprise me. That would not surprise me in any nope. way. Nope. Um, and actually, if they did sell him to PSG, that would give them money to rebuild a lot of the squad. You know, they could bring in, they could bring in two or three players for that. Uh, and that would, that would make a lot of sense, actually, in mm. the long run. Mm. Uh, and it depends on what the Juventus board wants to do. Mm. And it depends on what their what their philosophy is. I mean, if I was in charge of Juventus, I would take a longer-term perspective. I would appoint a manager who can build a young team which can be, which can have sustained... You know what's effort. quite funny, though, James? You said, uh, you know, they bring Ronaldo in to win the Champions League, but they bring Sarri in. And, uh, and, no, and, and, and it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't... No. It's like people making decisions... I don't decisions. know why they went for him in the first place. It, people are making decisions that don't quite work com- or compute in the right way because they want to win the Champions League they bring Ronaldo and then they bring Sarri in 
and that's almost saying, right, well, we have to rip up the original plan with Allegri and start from scratch, so we need to build something again. You know, it doesn't... Yeah, yeah, I had this. He's not, he's not a winner, is he? he? I mean, I love, I like Sarri a lot, but he's not someone a serial trophy winner. He's not no, someone no. who, you know, he's someone who implements a philosophy on the team, but it takes time. So it doesn't make, surely, I mean, arguably Jose Mourinho would have been a better shout for, for Juventus because. because he would have been a very good shout for Juventus. Because it's a similar style to Allegri, but he's won, he wins things, or he has won things quite regularly. And he's played, and he's he managed Ronaldo. Really that club like a glove. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, absolutely would have done. Yeah. See, James, this is why I don't get the Pochettino thing because I know you quite like the, the idea of a link. If Pochettino went to um, the, to get take over that current Juventus team now with that much money left over, a lot of aging players. Yeah, um, it would be a big job. It, you it's know, a long term uh, job. It's, without a doubt. I still yeah. think it's got shadows of the previous manager Allegri in it, and and, you, and it, it never fully ad- adapted to Sarri. Obviously, Pochettino's a bit more flexible, but he still wants to play that progressive brand of football. But again, no, yeah. Pochettino is a man who you who you back with time. Not quite as he didn't quite quite get the money at Spurs, but they, yeah, certainly backed him with time. And, yeah. I, and you're not going to bring Pochettino in to say, right, I want you to win the Champions League. No, because I no. don't think he's that kind no. of coach. I don't. I don't think it makes no, sense. And this is what I would do. I mean, if I if I was Juventus, I would take a long term approach rather than mm. I'd, I'd just like say, okay, we're not going to win the Champions League with this squad. We need to rebuild the squad. Mm. And so let's take a long-term approach and put someone in charge. I mean, the Legby was there for five or six years, wasn't he? Mm. So mm. Not like they, 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 he, 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 he built an identity there. Like I say, you exactly. can't just get rid of that in a year. So I just think it, it, it is a bit, yeah, a bit exactly, silly. Yeah. So I, s- I, I don't know what they will do. I have no idea what they actually will do. No. There's been rumours about Pochettino, obviously, because yeah. he's available. But mm. we don't actually know. I mean, there's rumours about Inzaghi as well. Yeah. Uh, Zidane is another one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Zidane, Zidane. Mm, that'd be interesting. That would, yeah, I mean, like you could, there's a scenario where Zidane could go to Juventus and Pochettino would go to Real Madrid. So, um, but you, you, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not really sure yet. I mean, it only just happened. He was mm. sacked a yeah. couple of hours before we yeah. recorded this, this podcast. Yeah. So it's um, it's going to be an interesting one that though. I think I, I still have that, that that picture in my head where he won the Europa League with Chelsea and he's there cradling his medal and there's no better sighters than you know a man. No, it's kind of, that was kind of beautiful that because he yeah. he's been he's been a coach for thirty years. Mm. Uh he's worked he had to work his way up from the bottom. He did. You know, he had to get promoted a few times and then yeah. got Napoli and then now in the Chelsea job and he that was his first major trophy. And we and he the, did it. I mean now he's and now he's got a league title. Yes, he's been sacked. But he can now say, look, I won a major league title and I won a, a European trophy. And that would be great for him. You know, but I think, I think Mauricio Sarri, and I saw an Italian journalist allude to this, is, is, isn't suited to big clubs with, with expectations to win trophies no. every season. No. He needs to be allowed to do his work yeah. and build a team that can play his way, mm-hmm. play a suit philosophy, yeah. and do that over a few years. Like at Napoli, he was given three years. Mm. And he built a team which very nearly won Serie A. I mean, got really close to winning Serie A. Mm. Uh, was he was. close to winning it. And if a club can do that, another, you can find another club where they give him that time to build and do things his way, mm. he'll be successful. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about not in terms of trophies, but he'll build a really good team. And a competitive team. Quick word on Antonio Conte as well, James. I mean, it, yes. when, they, when they finished Serie A, uh, it looked like uh, into a just we're, we're going to finish second, quite a good start. And then he then he had a, a big, huge rant against the board and against certain uh, people. 
criticising him and not giving his, him or his players enough credit. Um, it sounded like he was going to leave. It sounded like Max Allegri was 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 prepared to come in, and that probably yeah. would have made a bit of sense. But I think it's sort of the tempers have calmed down a little bit now, and I do yeah. think as well. I mean, it would be crazy, wouldn't it? Conte is a very much a system manager, three at the back, uh, wing backs, big man up front, Lukaku. He, he built something okay. He spent quite a bit of money as well on the Conte project, uh, even though Allegri is quite a structural manager. I mean, for him to come in and then change it to a back four. And you're not using wing backs like Hakimi, who's just come in and who, who thrives at wing back. And then Lukaku, I suppose he'd still do quite well under Allegri. But I mean, it would have been crazy, wouldn't it, if Conte had pressed Celtic yeah, on would, his uh, own project? He's got, he's got history of this. Yes. He did he does, Juventus. He yeah. When he was at Juventus, he threatened to leave a couple of times. Yeah. And never did, just to get the board to back him. And then one day he actually did. He just walked out. Mm. At Chelsea, he did the, exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of messed up that whole 2017 summer for them really yeah um, ended up with some players that they're still trying to get rid of mm. uh and it, it's not a surprise no he, he, he did that and i yeah he will he will he will stay i think you know yeah depends on who Juventus get as their manager and who they recruit as we say with he, conte he win spirit and next year you know with did. conte i think the general consensus is the fans generally love him because he's one he's almost one of the fans on the touchline he is a very good coach, and most of the players get behind him and do and do, do support him because he's a he's a very good coach, almost Mourinho esque, but a bit more, almost a bit more in touch, I suppose, with the modern game slightly, I guess, than maybe Mourinho is. Mourinho's got a bit more to prove now, uh, but one big flaw to both Mourinho and, and Conte, I suppose, is the temperament. Conte is even worse than Mourinho in that respect. Mourinho's sarcastic, and Conte goes on blazing, angry rants. So I think I think I think he'll need to keep himself in check. But um, yeah, uh, it's a shame, as I say, that 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 Sarri lost his job. And to be fair, actually, Conte is linked with, was linked with Juventus. Ironically, it was uh, yeah. So that would be bizarre. I don't. I don't think real. Allegri or Conte went to Juventus. I mean, that would be almost like admitting madness. defeat. It would be <laughs> madness. It'd be absolutely mad. Absolutely madness. Short termism, you know. I mean, God, there's some clubs that are not. Being run very well at the moment. No, Barcelona, some shocking, shockingly ran clubs across the board, and I think that's a nice way to. Well, that's not a nice way, but it's a horrible way to finish that topic, <laughs> and then just sort of uh, a, a, a called time on the podcast. So yeah, it should, this should be on iTunes, Buzzsprout, and Spotify, and also the Pet Project of YouTube, which again uh, is something that I am uh, working on with a view to the new season being a lot more watch than it currently is we're doing very well on the um on the general podcasting platforms but the youtube project does need a bit of work and uh hopefully you'll you'll see all that grand design uh before the season starts but now that's i think that's a bye from me and a bye from james bye everyone see you next week